Hey, this is Bradley Chubb, and you're listening to The Snap. Hey, this is Cortland Sutton. Hey, this is Tim Patrick. And you're listening to The Snap Snap with Sidney Jones on Broncos Podcast Network. Yeah! What's up, Broncos country? Welcome back to the Broncos Podcast Network and YouTube for the latest edition of The Snap. I'm your host, Sidney Jones. As many of you might not know, the month of March is Women's History Month, so since One of the main goals here on The Snap is to highlight women's impact in and around the NFL. This latest episode is going to feature some of the most prominent and dominant women I've had on this podcast over the past year. So to wrap up Women's History Month here, let's take a look back at some of the advice and knowledge that they've shared. In order, we'll hear from NFL on Fox broadcaster Laura Oakman, the NFL Senior Director of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, Sam Rappaport, the Broncos Executive Director of Football Operations and Special Advisor to the General Manager, Kelly Klein, CBS Sports Analyst and former Raiders CEO, Amy Trask, ESPN Sports Center anchor, Al Duncan, NFL Network's Aditi Kinkabwala, Broncos Social Media Engagement Manager, Caroline Disley, ESPN and CBS play-by-play broadcaster, Beth Moens, veteran sports broadcaster, Alex Flanagan, CBS on NFL director, Suzanne Smith, NFL Network's analytics expert, Cynthia Freeland, Monday Night Football sideline reporter, Lisa Salters, and ESPN's Laura Rutledge. We always talk about a seat at the table, and I'm like, I've been doing this just about 30 years now, and I don't want a seat at the table. I want to run the table. You know, I want to make sure that it's not just me fighting to, you know, excuse me, excuse me. Can I get a seat? You know, like, let me squeeze my chair. And I want to be making sure that I run the table so that that whole table suddenly has shifted. And that table isn't just one woman at the seat, but suddenly, you know, a table of 10 that the majority of the people sitting there are women. The majority of people sitting there are women of color um, and, and men of color. And so I would just say that right now, What that means is we have to keep making sure that we're fighting for not just a seat at the table. I think the biggest change I'd like to see is us moving from one woman to two. And it's a, you know, it's a small, it's a small point to make, but it's, I think it's really critical for us to remove the spotlight from one woman. And if she succeeds, then women belong in football. And if she fails or doesn't get a job that women don't, right? That's ludicrous. So you know, I really applaud what Coach Arians did because, you know, around the Super Bowl, we weren't only talking about Coach Locus or Coach Javadipar. We were talking about women are now ubiquitous on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers squad, right? Mm-hmm. And moving towards ubiquity is our ultimate mission. We want this to normalize. Um, you know, we don't want this to be something that media is interested in talking about anymore. We just want to let women do their jobs. And so I really think the next step is moving from one to two on each club in scouting and coaching and video and equipment, you name it. So it just starts to get a little more normal, a little more normal until we're not talking about it anymore. And, you know, we studied other fields like, you know, the first female doctor and the first female astronaut. And, you know, it's starting to become normal where no one's really saying like, oh, my, I have a female doctor anymore. It's just I have a doctor and it's a she. And that's where we're looking to move with females on the football side. You have to be willing to put the hours in. It's we work a lot, a lot of hours, and it's long work. But you just, you just got to do it. You just got to put your head down. You might not get paid a lot of money at first, because you know, that's how the sports industry is. Um, but I always say, one, put your head down and work, because that everyone notices that. Two, you have to have attention to detail, because especially when you're coming up, that's what people notice. You know, it's you don't have to, if, you know, when you want to get into scouting, you don't have to learn how to scout. You don't have to know how to scout yet. But it's the detailed things. It's, you know, when doing the advances for the coaches, it's you cannot have mistakes. You have to be detailed and 
Um, so those are two huge things. And also just, you know, building connections. That's huge, you know, especially all these young women at colleges. There are scouts that come in there all the time, you know, and I tell them all, introduce yourself, get in front of them, put a face to the name. You know, you can send emails, but get in front of them. And these scouts, you know, when we're looking for interns or people to come in, we ask our college scouts, hey, you know anyone from the colleges, you know, yeah. so that's huge. And then if you can get to the combine or the senior bowl, get just get your face out there and meet people and, and you know, maintain those connections, but but don't overdo it. <laughs> is when I started my career with the Raiders in the sort of early part of the mid 80s, there was no discussion about women in sports or women in the NFL. It, it wasn't a topic that was, you know, front and center. It wasn't a topic at all, let alone front and center. And that's perhaps too long of a way to answer your question, which is to say, I never really thought about it. I did my job. When I attended my first league owners meeting, I was the only woman in the room. So not only was there no discussion and no platform of the nature you're describing in this terrific podcast that you have, it wasn't even a topic. And by the way, if it was, with whom would I be speaking about it? I was the only woman in the room. So much of the beginning of your career is like just like trying to prove people, like prove your worth and prove your value and get them to believe in you and convince them to give you a job and convince them to give you a mic and convince them to give you more content, more opportunities, more responsibilities. You just... It's like you almost are motivated and sort of thrive off of this, uh, this chip on your shoulder or this idea that no one sees you and like, just wait for like, you know, here I come. And then you sort of get this acknowledgement from the place that you work at, this place that you've worked to get to your whole life, this acknowledgement of like, yeah, we think you're awesome and we want you to stay even longer. And you're just sort of like, you have this like identity. It's like an existential crisis. You're like, who am I if I am not struggling and trying to like, convince you to see me. And so it's been this really cool thing. And also some, some stuff to talk out with the therapist, right? Because that is, that's sort of traumatic conditioning that tells us that like, it only means something if people don't believe we can do it. And I'm choosing now to really focus on the people that always believed I could do this and always trusted me and believed in me and sacrificed for me. And I'm focusing on them. Be fearless. You know, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid if someone tells you, well, you're a girl and you're not supposed to do that. Don't be afraid if, you know, when I told, I told a boss when I was pregnant with my son, I told someone that I reported to that I was pregnant and he said, you can't do this. Well, you can't do this job and have a baby. And I said, no, 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 I will decide whether I can or I can't. You know, it was a moment that I definitely could have been afraid. Oh my gosh, will I lose my job? And I'll be perfectly honest. I was afraid for people to find out. But don't be afraid to go up to somebody. Don't be afraid to ask a question. No question is stupid. If it teaches you something, if you learn something, if it helps you explain something, then it was definitely a worthy question. Don't be afraid if somebody gives you a look because he doesn't want to answer the question. Don't be afraid if someone makes you feel bad about being other whether other is being female or short or tall or having not played the game or whatever it is, just don't be afraid. And most importantly, don't be afraid to ask other people for help. So when I sit here and I talk about my career and you know, I, it's easy now to joke about how terrible I was on television my first year, but I had so many people help me. So much social has changed. I think I've come a long way from being known as the Snapchat girl as an intern to the influence that I have <laughs> reaching our over 8 million followers. And I think that in general, social is being taken more seriously than it was a few years ago. And so people are starting to realize the impacts that we can really have. And then the fact that that's run by, I think it's 50% of all NFL accounts are run by women. And I 
it's just awesome. But it also goes to kind of the cliche of like, you need to have your tribe. You need to have girls in the industry, women in the industry that you can rely on and count on. And it's great because I think that um, social is kind of hard to explain to people. I'm still working on explaining it to my family, exactly what I do for a living. And so it's nice to be able to have kind of resources, not only as a female in the industry, but a female in social. And so you can kind of rely on those people. But I would also like to see more male advocates. And I think that there are so many in the NFL that I work with that are great. Like even just being on this podcast, I had two of my guy friends that run accounts that were sending me the tweet and we're like, go Caroline, this is awesome. And like, it's so encouraging to have that type of support from both men and women. And the next step is now having more and more men and women stand up for situations that happen that women in sports face. And I think we're moving in that direction and you're seeing more and more of it. And that's what's so encouraging to see. For a lot of young girls, a lot of teenage girls, uh, we tend not to want to be in positions of leadership. We, we tend to want to fit in. And so the play-by-play role or the analyst role is you know pretty significant. You're out in front, you're leading the discussion, you're sharing your opinions. You, you better be on top of it because you will be scrutinized very closely. So it, it's what, a position that I like to say, you, you want to have the ball. And so when I was growing up as a point guard, I always wanted to have the ball. And that translated into, you know, the decision making that, that helped me out as a play-by-play announcer as well. I think, too, um, it, it's what we talked about a little earlier. If you see somebody doing it, then you start thinking you can do it. And for years most roles open to women were on the sideline. And so that was the role I think that a lot of young women um, have been drawn to over the years. And now we're starting to see, yes, there are still a lot of women that want to be sideline reporters, but now there are also a lot of women that want to be anchors and that want to be play-by-play and that want to be color commentators. And they know that if that's their true passion, then they can chase that. Lee, I don't want to date myself too much, but, you know, there weren't all that many females um, covering football or even in sports. Um, I certainly was not one of the OGs by any means, but um, but really it was still kind of a bit of a novelty. I mean, there was kind of a few of us um, doing the jobs and, and really there were for the majority of my career, really, I would say I was I was the only female in the room almost always. Um, so I think. Um, I think what kind of, I guess what got me, what, what, what made me successful was probably just drive and the willingness to do the work. Um, I'm a total type A personality and like very detail oriented. So kind of like a perfectionist, I guess, if you will. And so I think that kind of, a, um, you know, that really paralleled, I think, how I did the job in that I really um, prepared a ton and um, and just was kind of ready for whatever came my way. So I think, you know, the hard thing I, I meet over the course of my career, I've met with so many people that, you know, want to get on TV and, and do the job. And um, what you really realize is it, it it is a sacrifice. And I think that's what I tell a lot of young women in that, like, if you're not ready to not go to your friend's weekend weddings or miss baby showers or, or, or even your own children's events, sadly, it is really a part of the business. Um, you know, sports happen on the weekends and, and on the, during the night. And so you really do give up a lot, I think, in terms of your social life and some of the things that might be more like normal <laughs> for working people. But um, I guess the flip side of it is, you know, the excitement and the things you get to be a part of and attend are really, you know, unmatched by so many other um, jobs that you could have out there. As far as being the only woman 
directing NFL games right now, it's um, for me, it's a privilege each and every week to get to do a game. I love the NFL. I'm, I'm passionate about it. Um, I love doing live television. And I really think there's not, you know, nothing much better than uh, doing live, live sports and then combine that with the NFL. So every week, you know, I take it as, um, you know, it, it's important. I never take it for, for granted. And um, I think it's, it's important on many levels. And for me, I'm sure you're familiar with the expression, uh, if you can see her, you can be her. So each and every week, I try to set a good example. Um, and even like, you know, speaking with you ladies that if I'm able to do this, um, so are other women. I was old when I first, like, my first time on TV was the 6 p.m. Sports Center. And I was 31 years old. <laughs> it's just funny. So I think like, you know, you don't know how it works out, right? The answer is you just say yes right? And keep going and figure it out, right? And you figure it out. And then I was bad and I was really bad. And then, but I was passionate and I knew about something that other people didn't. So I got a chance to be different. And because I truly did write all these things, my, like I, I had been working with coaches for years. I kept in touch with all of them. I did it in multiple sports, right? I had talked to NBA coaches as well and, and MLB and all these things. And, you know, DraftKings came along and a sponsorship came and you guys know when there's sponsorship, that means money. And you know what money means? That means you're going to have to keep going back on TV, whether or not you feel comfortable. So I took voice lessons. I took improv classes. To me, that was probably like the best moment of like, get over yourself, go take an improv class. You're going to be bad. But at the end, you're gonna be like, well, I did that. I can probably, it'll be okay. Right. And if you're passionate about something and you really, really care, you'll, you'll find a way to become better and better and better and better at it. Cause you know, people don't love math to begin with. So, um, you know, had a little bit of an uphill battle, but it worked out from that. I did not know that I was the longest tenured sideline reporter, um, for the franchise. Um, it's humbling, certainly. Uh, this was nothing that I set out to do. My, my career started in news. Um, so I did 12 years of news before I even transitioned to, to ESPN to do sports. Uh, so, you know, this was nothing that I set out to do. Um, there were opportunities that just kind of uh, presented themselves and um, I took advantage of. And uh, I'm glad I did. Um, it's, it's, um, it's been fun. It's been humbling, um, and it, it's never lost on me whenever, you know, a little girl or a parent of a, a kid, a mother or father comes up to me and says, you know, my child wants to do what you're doing, or, you know, a little girl says to me, I want to do what you do, and uh, just uh, the importance of, you know, little girls who look like me seeing me and thinking and knowing that they can they can do whatever they want and if they want to be in sports they can be keep an open mind because so often i i'll talk to young women and men who, who say well i want to be on air and um while you may end up being on air sometimes it's better to understand the production side and, and maybe try different avenues write as much as you can do radio you know try all mediums podcast whatever it may be um just to get a variety of experience of different types of experiences. I think as much as you learn things in school and you may do internships, it really doesn't matter until you have real life experience because this is such a reps based business, especially if you want to be on air. So I would say that. And then also leaning into the strengths that the younger generation does have. I mean, you guys understand social media way more than a lot of these older executives that are going to be hiring you lean into that, you know, make, don't be shy about, um, talking about your own strengths and putting those out there. I think so often 
people approach in these interviews with humility, which, which you should, but you should also make sure that you're telling people what you bring to the table and um, that you are willing to help however you can. And so I, I think the media is in sports media, especially is going to continue to shift and change here, especially over the next couple of years. And so leaning into an understanding of that landscape is a huge advantage. <laughs>